Well, hello and welcome to another glorious episode of Pod of the Gaps. Um, I am Aaron Edwards, returning from my auspicious absence from the last episode. Uh, or indeed, uh, I am joined here by Andy Bannister. We have another absentee, don't we? Who, what's his we name do again? to go. Well, this obviously is sort of you know holiday kind of season. So, so Michael Otts has uh, disappeared off, and is and is Michael's uh, sort of habit. Uh, he is, I think, in a tent somewhere in the far northwest of Scotland, without Wi-Fi, without electricity, without running water, uh, without sunshine, um, and wherever. So, very brave kind of holiday. So, we are holding the forts. So if we see him tweeting or Facebooking, we all know we're being lied to. Yes, I have wondered whether actually he's in a luxury five-star hotel in Barbados yeah. and just 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 bigging it up and pretending that he's on some manly holiday. He could um, be committing podcast adultery or something. He could be, you know, uh, you know, going and doing a, a rival podcast, and we wouldn't even know, would we? Yes, exactly. Well, we we we, we well, it depends how many people listen to that that podcast, but maybe he's just podcasting to himself. But um, that's true. But looking at your background, and again, you know, uh, listeners uh, at home or wherever, you only get the, the audio. They don't get the full uh, Technicolor effect of actually seeing each other on video. But you look like you're not in your office. You, you, you're, you're not on holiday or in a tent, but that is, that is not your regular office. What, what's going on, mate? Yeah, well, in, you should say that. And you know what? That sounds like a setup, but you don't actually know why. I did tell you. I, I don't. You, you did say ask, so I'm, I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, That's right. For, for listeners, we do rehearse briefly where the intro is going to go. And then we go down a series of different and unconnected rabbit holes. But um, but yes, they would never they would never that. think that they would never think we go down rabbit holes would they on this show. Um, so I go into my office earlier this week, having been on leave, not checking my email, so I don't know what anything has happened over over the last four weeks. And two Indian people just pop their heads in my office halfway through as I'm getting through my long pile of emails, catching up, and they're saying, "Oh, we're filming in here now," and I was like. I don't think you are, but yeah, we're definitely. We're, this is where we're filming. It's like, what are you filming? Like, oh, the the movie. I was like, I, I don't think I agreed to be in any movie. What is, it is your life story? Is that what? Is that what <laughs> yeah, it is? Like... You finally, you finally made it. This is your life. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, this is odd. Is there some interview set up? Has there been something that's been arranged? I think. I said, can you just tell me? You know, so who are you? Who are you? Kind of like accountable to? You? Can you go and get them to come and talk to me? Um, and literally tonight, then, then the operations director of the college comes and says, "Oh, how did you not? You didn't, you didn't get the emails? Like, now I don't check email on leave as one shouldn't." I said, "Well, we've actually converted the entire college site into a Bollywood movie set." <laughs> and I was like, "You literally couldn't write this. Not even in a Bollywood movie script could you write uh, this series of events." So literally, in the space that I was on leave, a Bollywood movie company approached the college in some circumstances of need needing a venue to film um a, a movie based in a school i don't know why it had to be in this area but it did maybe because tom cruise is filming just down the road in uh, one of the scenes in mission impossible so i wondered if there's something to do with that but it's very odd so literally now they're converting the whole site into like an indian school for the next like three or four weeks so this can be one of those sort of typical bollywood sort of movies you know boy meets Girl, very chastely, with lots of uh, dancing and uh, and sort of colourful costumes, but in Derbyshire rather than <laughs> than in in, in in India. Yeah, I may or may not be using my office, you know, as a as a. Dancing but it does tell venue. me though that maybe you should reverse the the favour and to go if ever you know part of the gaps become really huge and they want to someone wants to film the story of your life, they need to recreate Cliff College, <laughs> uh, you know, in Mumbai. That's uh, right, or somewhere. 
Cliff College Bollywood. Yeah, so I so little little did I know I was the only faculty member on site at the time because you weren't allowed to be on site, and I just wandered into my office as normal. I think it's a wind up. I think the rest of them in, your, in their absence <laughs> were like, okay, how can we prank Aaron Edwards? Right. Okay, let's see if we can convince yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> so they've actually just hired three blokes to pretend to be right. like Indian filmmakers right. and actually the rest of your colleagues are, are back on campus. But now that's the way of getting rid of it. It's a great way to fire someone just gradually. Just to sort of, Yeah, the movie's still going on three years later. Three years old and, uh, yeah. and whatever. So, so, there we go. Anyway, yeah. so that's why. I really yeah. can't equal that in terms of my week. <laughs> no, but you did have some drama, didn't you? We did actually, we did have drama and not, not, not of the Bollywood variety. <laughs> we were supposed to record this, this podcast um, kind of yesterday and uh, and literally sort of 15 minutes before we were due i was due to sort of dial in uh, to you and set this up my son i was in i was down the local park with my son who decided my six-year-old decided to do an experiment he decided to see what happens if you run at high speed and try and jump between the chains of a moving child's swing and uh, what actually happens uh, in his case is your left foot as it comes through catches it you do this sort of dramatic mid-air roll land on your shoulder and uh, and break your collarbone. Um, so the poor little guy has, has broken his collarbone. So he's he's wandering around very. Actually, he was very sad. I was just saying before the show, he was looking very morose at, at breakfast oh. with his arm in his sling. And we said, "Are you, are you all right, buddy? Is it, is it sore?" He went, "Oh no, I'm, I'm frightened." We said, well, why, why, "What are you frightened about?" He said, "I'm, I'm afraid my arm's going to fall off." <laughs> so we had to sort of pull up a picture of a human skeleton on the computer and sort of show the bone structure and go, "You actually have lots of other bones holding your arm." It it, it definitely. It definitely won't 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 fall off. But apparently, I think his sister had put this idea into his head. So, <laughs> right, okay. eight and a half year old sisters can be really helpful. What are big sisters for what in such moments? For? Exactly. Oh, well, that's, there we there go. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, there's a how do we make a tenuous? There's probably a tenuous link from my story. Things I guess falling off. Things declining. Things falling apart. Things declining. Yeah. Things things changing. Things being invaded. I don't know. Um, well. Either way, whatever the tenuous link would be, if it will ask the listeners to send in the tenuous link for this week, because it's very tricky to find all between Bollywood, a dislocated shoulder, and our theme, drumroll please, is Western culture getting worse? Is Western culture getting worse? Um, and we're talking, obviously, about the decline, the general decline of, of the sort of civilization known as the West or Western culture. Um, and it's something that we've, you know, people have been speaking about quite regularly on various other podcasts and in newspapers, uh, reports, and all this kind of thing. In the last sort of five or ten years, perhaps, but especially ramping up in the last two or three years, uh, there has been this, these narratives of what's going to happen in the future. Um, there's there's all sorts of wonderful things, of course, about Western culture. There's lots of great things that you could point to as saying this is progress. There's been some excellent, you know, advances in in, in scientific. Um, discovery and healthcare and um, various sort of ways in which um, cities and towns are related to one another or nations relate to one another. There are clearly advances which are helpful and good. You know, you, you think the very people who are writing about how terrible the West is will also be ordering books from Amazon or other uh, providers, but probably don't come as quick as Amazon, uh, that arrive the next day or the same day. And you think, gosh, this, what a bizarre situation we live in where we can have access to so much stuff, to so much information. But with all of that, clearly there are many other issues. We've pointed to many on this show. There, there are significant problems with how the West understands itself uh, and, and what the fears are for the next generation. And so this has all sorts of implications. It goes, it goes into various sort of areas. I'm going to try and get into some of these today. But I thought, Andy, maybe you can, maybe you can kick us off. Seeing as you're the only one I can ask to kick us off, because uh, Mike, Michael has, you know, 
kicked himself off this week in his tent in Scotland. Uh, where, where do you see this sort of starting out or, or going to? Yeah, it's an interesting question, um, isn't it, Aaron? I, mean, I think one of the first things I'd say is I think when you live within a culture, it's very easy to assume that it's monolithic and will always be there. And one mm. of the things that you and I, were, of course, were talking about before the show began, we were sort of, uh, you know, catching up on what we're reading this summer. We, we, we all love, both you and I, you know, one of the interests we have in common is reading old books. Because reading old books is interesting because you get a perspective from a different generation and, and, and a different era. And, uh, and you know, that reminds you that things don't have to be the way they are. But for many of us who live our lives right in the moment, we just watch, watch on TV now, we just watch what engage with what's on Netflix now, what's on social media now, we forget the culture's rise and, and culture's fall. And I mean, there have been plenty of cultures in history who thought they were the absolute, you know, bee's knees or uh, the joint of another insect, if you prefer. Other insects are available. Um, you know, the Romans really thought they were it, the Greeks, the Persians, uh, you know, the Islamic mm-hmm. Empire at its height and so on and so forth. And for a long time, I think the West has sort of naively assumed, well, we're it, right? We are the triumph of, of human civilization. Look how amazing we are. And there was a sort of thinking that, well, the rest of the world is going to copy us, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's going to drink Pepsi. Everyone's going to watch Hollywood movies. Everyone's going to believe in human rights and democracy and mm-hmm. we'll achieve, achieve global hegemony and everything will be wonderful. And we're suddenly beginning to discover that actually the West is actually looking increasingly tired. Mm. And there are many voices beginning to argue that maybe that cultural momentum was naive to assume that. I mean, perhaps the most recent example of it, we talked about this on the, on the previous podcast while you were you know, relaxing on the beach somewhere, <laughs> yeah. um, was what's happened in, in Afghanistan. I mean, who would have thought that the Western powers would pump you know, 20 years and all their military experience and billions of dollars in and, and, and fail. And that's exactly what's happened. And at the same time as well, and we can, you know, perhaps we can dive deeper into this in a moment, but at the same time as well, Aaron, of course, we have other civilizations uh, who are younger and more energetic and, and the, the young upstarts, as it were, looking at the old dinosaur going, right, maybe it's time to, you know, heave this one off the stage. The most, the, the most likely candidates uh, out there would be, you know, civilizations like China, um, I think, which is you know very much uh, the the emerging the emerging superpower. Uh, you've also got to a, you know not far behind. You've got India, uh, I think, which you know huge population. Um, um, but look at the you know the technological expertise that's now centred. Well, you uh, see, the, I mean, India is clearly invading other people's colleges to make Hollywood. Yeah, movies, take, so. yeah exactly. You know, gone are the days of of, of Hollywood <laughs> filming on location in India. India is now filming on location in, in Derbyshire, that's, that's and. And then, of course, you've also got older empires that perhaps we thought we had triumphed over and that maybe we were a bit too hasty to look at Russia uh, and so forth that I think we'd neglected. And I think the assumption that the West is going to be, uh, you know, driving things culturally for the next hundred years, I am not convinced I would bet on that proposition. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, very, it's a really interesting um, area, isn't it, as you say, that there's all of these other you might say pretenders to the throne there's always there always is a kind of civilizational leader empires uh, are always sort of with us in some way it almost seems to be part of um civilizational human nature you could say regardless of whether they understand themselves as an empire like there is no such thing as the empire of the west or the empire of the usa but quite clearly it is they functionally speaking it is imperial in the sense that people will see themselves as paying deference to it the dollar being the significant uh, currency or the as the pound still is really from its own um time in the sun as it were and the british empire um and that the kind of loss of confidence that you mentioned there is important as well the tiredness 
Uh, there, there's a just at that time, I think there's a Solzhenitsyn quote I saw going around social media recently. Um, he, him saying this at the kind of height of the threat of, um, well, the, 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 at the height of the Soviet Union in its, in its kind of all of its glory, as it were, or not all in glory, um, saying, actually, you may feel tired about defending the West or defending the values that you hold dear, but the communists are not tired at all. They've got a lot of energy and they're wanting to continue pushing. Now, of course, we saw that that, that didn't happen in, in, in what was the Soviet Union, but other forms, other ideologies and other civilizational approaches will be in their ascendancy elsewhere. You mentioned Afghanistan, a really important one um, situation here, kind of a microcosm of everything that's sort of um, gone wrong, really, with how the West sees itself, its sort of global influence and, and trying to kind of police the world or try to set right its um, its what, what it sees as the, the problems elsewhere. Um, and it's interesting to see the debate recently on even on that, that, that there's even an openness now to talk about, well, you know, that maybe the Taliban aren't so bad, that kind of thing, which does it itself speaks into, um, I know there's com- complexities to that debate, but it speaks into maybe our loss of judgment or the fact that we ourselves have gotten so used to being open to so many different things that we, we've almost fragmented ourselves in, in how we uh, understand truth. And this is something that many um, writers over the last sort of half century even have sort of noticed there are many that we could bring to mind but it's it's certainly something that comes up a lot isn't it yeah as a, as so many things i i could say there i mean one of the first things i find i find interesting is that you know that that line you use there about losing confidence there's a lot going on there one of the reasons i think we've lost confidence you know we've talked in in previous episodes about the about the rise of kind of sort of wokeism Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the word woke is everywhere, which is this sort of worldview that you know purports to make you know the West and particularly kind of white males to blame mm-hmm. for absolutely everything that's gone wrong. And of course, so one of the big whipping boys today has become imperialism, and so this tendency to kind of beat up the West mm-hmm. and, and and the UK particularly because of the you know our imperial uh, mm-hmm. adventures that we had. There's a lot of beating up on the past and and and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of being very negative about some of what was done. And, and mm-hmm. I appreciate some of that because. There was stuff I've done in the past that was that was horrendous, but a couple of things um, I think are missed in that. One, I think, is of course recognizing that there was a lot done that was amazing. Mm. Um, secondly, is the fact that you forget that if you hack away at your foundations long enough, there are going mm. to be implications. You know, if you go mm. out to the garden and there's a big mm. oak tree there, and you keep every so often going off and hacking at the roots with an mm. axe and pouring bleach all over them, yeah. eventually that tree is going to die and, and fall over and take your roof mm. out in the process. Um, but then the other thing I find ironic, uh, Aaron, is that. Um, we missed the fact that you something you said I think is really helpful that empires will always be with us. I think people are very naive if they think, well, okay, we can you know chase the West out mm. and we can attack you know the West for its imperial ambitions in the past and maybe sort of ghost of empire around today. And then in its place will come you know rainbows and, and kittens and, and mm. fluff and whatever. <laughs> well, no, because empires will always <clears throat> be with us. All that will happen is another empire in its place. And so mm. it's not a case of, you know, shall we have a, you know, will we have an empire or there not be an empire? The question really for the future is which empire? Yes. Um, and I think what's interesting is I think we're very naive if we assume that the, the, the empires that are, will step into the perhaps the shadow mm. of the West, like, say, China, will go, you know what? You know, the West got human rights right. We love what went on in the West. <laughs> we'll make sure when we get, you know, greater share of global power that we bring you know, the same attention to human rights as yeah. the West. I don't think that's, that's right. likely to happen. Yeah. And then the <laughs> really last thing that interested me, and then, yeah. you know, you yeah. come back at me on this or, or take this where you want to. It's interesting how everything connects. That point you made about, I think, 
you know, part of that loss of confidence has been we've lost confidence in in our values, actually, mm. uh, and the values that built the West that were largely Christian, Judeo-Christian mm. ones. Mm. You know, that, that we've talked about this on so many previous episodes, that mm. the, the, the idea of human value and, and dignity is profoundly yeah. Christian idea it was not found in the civilizations that, that came before us but now with this loss of kind of confidence and moral confidence where you know everything we equivocate across, across like you say the taliban maybe they're not so bad yeah. and so on and uh, this reminded me we were talking a moment ago about old books yeah and i was sharing how one of the books i'm reading is my a writer i've mentioned several times on the show in the past fw borum baptist minister in new zealand and uh, in australia in the in the in the end of the 19th century beginning of the 20th and I was reading a little essay by him the other day uh, called When All the Cats Are Grey and he opens by saying you know, a French proverb which Alexander Dumas uses as the title one of the chapters of The Three Musketeers affirms that at night all cats are grey and he goes on to unpack the idea and use it as a metaphor for when, when there's no light shed into a situation you can't tell the difference you know is that your yeah. cat sitting on the fence yeah. is it next door's cat because all cats are grey mm. and of course when the light of the gospel is turned off in a culture, then I think yeah. everything actually becomes grey. We do yeah. lose all bearings. And Friedrich Nietzsche famously mm. talked about mm. this in the parable of the of the lantern, the madman. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, that actually, mm. you know, when the horizon is washed away, there is no up, there is no down, there is no left or right, all bearings are gone. And I think that's what's going on in the West. Mm. We live in a culture that's profoundly lost its moorings mm. and it no mm. longer knows which mm. cat is which, doesn't know which mm. direction is which. And it can yeah. no longer, ironically, for all the talk about mm. justice, really talk about good, evil, right, wrong, mm. just and, and, mm. and unjust. There's a mm. huge need for Christians mm. to be salt and light in a culture like this. Absolutely, no, that's that's a really, really important point. I think I think we, as you say, we 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 talk a lot about the um, Christian foundations, the relationship between um, the West and Christianity. It's not as simple, for example, as just saying, "Well, we are a post-Christendom culture." So let's embrace the fact that we don't have the power anymore um, as the church and we never should have had it anyway. And everything went wrong when the Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian and made and ultimately led a series of decisions that led ultimately to Christianity being the sort of um, standard religion um, within the Roman Empire. And that was inherited by the West. All those sort of ideas, we won't go into all those now, but um we do need to recognise that there, there's an inheritance there, as you say, like the oak tree, which we're pouring bleach on, chopping away. A lot of the things within, embedded within Western culture are actually Christian ideas as well, fundamentally. And so it's easy for Christians to sit on their, on their oak tree and say, oh, well, I really loathe Western culture. It's not about the culture. It's just about us um, preaching the gospel, per se. But, well, in a way, lots of the values in Western culture are the result. They're the fruit of the preaching of the gospel. Um, as you say, there's so many things which have been embedded, institutions and sort of values and ideals, which are literally the fruit of Christians changing the world. And so it's a, it's a one, it should be a wonderful vision for the church to go, right, we want to be the kind of community that is uh, being salt and light, as you say. And, and mentioning that the, the connection to Nietzsche and the ideas as they filter down made me think about this really wonderful book that i've returned to again recently called uh, i'll show it on the video for just for andy because he's you know you're such a professional you know it's it's perfect never work Um, with children animals or theologians exactly you never know what could happen we could we could be in a bollywood movie set we could not be you never know we could be actually in one right now we could you don't know you might be part of a scene that's being filmed uh you never know 
and I haven't even asked you for your rights. Um, I the, anyway the the book that I would have shown you if we were a, a film podcast um, was Ideas Have Consequences. Ideas Have Consequences by Richard Weaver. And it's actually a book that was written in 1948. And if you read it, it's actually unbelievable how on the money it is for the things it's describing that we're seeing the true fruit of now. So he's talking about, um, ultimately, um, the inheritance of what, what's already happening from the 19th century into the 20th. And he's seeing what's happened in the First and Second World War. He's seeing this sort of malaise of the 1920s and people kind of giving up their ideals. And he's seeing the sort of loss um, of what we call metaphysics, um, this idea that there are really ideas, <laughs> that there are ideas um, beyond ourselves. There are things beyond just empirical, material reality. So when we stop believing that there are things like love and truth and justice above us and that are almost eternal values, um, lots of stuff goes wrong. And it takes a time for that to work itself out. But he, he sort of maps it out in education, in law, in in art and culture, and, and the kind of fragmentation that happens in a society when we stop believing that truth really matters and has something to say to us as individuals. So I know we would say that as Christians a lot. We'd say, oh, there's a loss of truth in the culture. No one cares about truth because of postmodernism. Everyone's um, relativistic. But he says similar things, but in a way that gets at it at a, quite, at a bit of a deeper level, even though it's not an overly academic but I mean, he's clearly very well read and he was himself a, a professor. Um, it's not like it's overly difficult to kind of get through. Um, it's not overly footnoted, but it's it's very, very winsome and insightful. At times, very uh, wonderful rhetoric in it as well. But it's really strongly making this point that we've lost the ability in the West to make judgments. We're so we're so committed to, let's say, democracy, purely per se, that everyone should be equal in every possible manner. He said, well, "Yeah, that's well. That's that's a kind of good ideal in a way." But when we take that to a kind of extreme, we almost lose the ability to make any judgment. And so there's no such thing as hierarchy because we hate hierarchies because they're always bad because we've seen what men did to women or white people did to black people. So let's get rid of the idea of hierarchy. And so, well, that's, again, a nice thing to do in theory, but it really ends up in meaning that we can't say that things are true and not true anymore. We end up saying that there's something that's more valuable than something else. We can't say that anymore. We have to say that everything's kind of equally relatively um, valuable. So, so this works itself out by by fragmenting. We no longer have a sort of central idea of stuff we believe in. We we sort of everyone each to their own, egotistically is getting on with their own individual expressions of life. And we you know we talk about that in loads of other examples. Carl Truman's book, The uh, Triumph uh, of the what's it? The Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah, and and the um, the kind of personal freedom of expression being the sort of fundamental expressive individualism being the sort of fundamental way we understand ourselves and you think well what's that's all happening that's been happening for well, that was written 75 years ago and as I say if you read through some of the quotes you think goodness it's like he wrote it yesterday like he wrote it this afternoon um, because it's it's we're seeing it now with the kind of woke revolution which is really only the last sort of three or four years um that's a flowering of everything. We're seeing the kind of, what's happening now is what we used to joke about could happen if you took things to their logical conclusion. Men could become women, and then you'd be told off for saying that they couldn't become women and this kind of thing. Um, we're seeing loads of those sort of things happen all the time, a kind of gender bending, but also the sort of um, a love of indecency and uh, obscenity almost is becoming more and more tolerable. 
uh, to people within our culture. That's happening at the very same time that other, as say, other civilizations are strengthening economically and all these other things. So it's an interesting problem, isn't it, to have to think about and deal with? I think it is, and I think it it draws it draws so many threads together. I mean, one of the things I find fascinating uh, about all this, Aaron, is in one sense what we're saying and discussing here on the show today is nothing new. People have been saying this for for a lot of time in, in kind of recent years. And also both what I also find interesting is both Christians like ourselves mm. and non-Christians mm. are saying it. So actually, you know, thinking back to my my days at uh, London School of Theology where I did my, my undergraduate uh, work in the 2000s, you mm. know, we had a, a wonderful kind of church history prof um, and, uh, you know, cultural studies prof called uh, Mike Pierce who wrote an amazing book uh, mm. a few years ago called Why the Rest Hates the West. <laughs> quite clever actually and that yeah. begins to pick on pick up on this idea that you know there's a lot in western culture that means other parts of the world actually look on us as barbarians yeah. which is a very eye-opening thing for a nature for a civilization that likes to think we are these knees mm-hmm. you know because of the way that we treat women because of our sexual mm-hmm. ethics and others in many parts of the world we are considered to be the barbarians at the gates not the champions mm-hmm. of everything mm-hmm. uh, but obviously mike comes to that from a christian perspective but then more recently uh, you know, I, I read, you know, multiple kind of newspapers to try and get kind of balance. But, you know, one of the ones I read at the slightly more, you know, small C conservative in the Daily Telegraph, uh, Alistair Heath, who's a mm. correspondent in there. Now, as far as I know, he's not coming at this from a Christian. Well, he's not coming at the, from the article I'm about to mention from a Christian perspective. Whether he has any faith of his own, I, I don't know. He doesn't give that impression in his writings. Um, but he produced an article kind of recently called Four Mega Trends That Condemn mm. the West to Irreversible Decline. And I'll put a link to this in the um, in the in the show notes. And he says there are there are four things going on. He identifies there's the the emergence of uh, what he calls non democratic capitalism. You know, we in the West used to think that you know you couldn't become wealthy as a nation unless you embrace democracy. Well, hello, China have showed actually you can become fabulously wealthy uh, mm. without embracing capital without embracing democracy. So that mm. that that mm. ship has sailed. Um, the misuse of technology. He says you know the damage that social media has done to our political discourse, to our engagement uh, with, uh, with with one another. Uh, I think we've forgotten how to communicate and, uh, and technology has, has, has written tremendous harm. Um, there's this obsession with, uh, with pursuing uh, net zero when it comes to carbon emissions, whole discussion around, around green kind of issues. But one of, the, one of the comedy things, tragic comedy things going on is, well, he, we in the West are probably going to really, uh, you know, straitjacket our economic development, pursuing the chimera of carbon of net zero for carbon, and I say chimera because I don't think we're ever going to achieve it. I don't think it's actually achievable. It's a, it's a perhaps a laudable goal, but of course China and India and those civilizations go 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 great. While the West ties itself up in knots, we're going to nick all of their best ideas. We're going to nick the green technologies they come up with as well. Thank you very much. But we're also going to keep building coal-fired power stations and yeah. develop like it's out of fashion. Yeah. And then lastly, he said, and we've touched on this a bit already, our kind of ideological decadence, that mm. we don't really care about our values mm. anymore. So those four things together form a kind of mm. perfect, perfect mm. storm. But we'll put a link to the article in the, in the show notes. But Aaron, a question I have, you know, we've, we've, we've talked around this a bit over the last half hour and diagnosed some of it. And in one sense, it's slightly like shooting fish in a barrel because, as I say, Christian commentators are picking mm. up on, on this. mentioned Mike. Uh, we mentioned Carl Truman. Yeah. Um, recently, there are, there are others, and say you know Alistair Heath. Uh, we talked about Tom Holland. Mm. Previous shows, his book Dominion is 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 quoted by Alistair in that article. But I suppose the, the thing I'd love us to think about for a few minutes, 
you know, what do, what do you think with your, you know, theologian's hat on? I mean, I'm, I'm a part theologian, but, but more of a kind of, you know, I suppose a communicator, an apologist, philosopher, evangelist, all those labels. But you're, you're more of a purebred theologian. How do we respond to this as Christians? Because clearly it's not right to sit there and go, we're all doomed, like a, what's his face from Dad's Army? There's a cultural <laughs> product from a, from a few years ago, the Scots yeah. guy, you know, we're all doomed. Can't quite do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that's a Christian response. There's something, it's no. tempting, right? No. But I don't see that come through in scripture. Mm. Uh, and boy, I mean, the first generation of Christians were faced with the mm. Roman Empire and yeah. all the challenges there, but they don't sit yeah. in a huddle and weep. Mm. Um, so how, how do we mm. respond as, as Christians and perhaps, you know, avoid the, the opposite, equal but opposite errors, either a sort of a Pollyannaism yeah. of saying, yeah. there's nothing, nothing to see here, not, no, no problem, yeah. just move along, yeah. we're all doomed. Mm. Um, yeah, how do mm. we... How do we respond yeah, to this? that's really good. And let, let me just, uh, I always tend, whenever you say, let's stop diagnosing, I always say, can I just have one more diagnosis? Please? Go ahead. That's, go what, on. that's what theologians like to do. But let yeah, me yeah. try and weave it in. I'll try and weave it in together. Weave it into your answer. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and it gives me a chance to talk about Francis Schaeffer because he he's somebody who actually I think we need to start rediscovering in his yeah. approach. He sort of got a bit dated for us. So Francis Schaeffer was um, a sort of cultural missionary of the mid 20th century, probably in the sort of 60s, 70s, towards the 80s, I think he died in the 80s. Um, but he was very, very prominent in the 60s, and se- in, the, in particular the 1970s, um, at diagnosing this problem of, of the we- of Western decline. But he saw it as a real, a real missional endeavor. This was something the church needed to take up. Um, so it wasn't just as easy as just saying, oh, look, either the world is doomed or, oh, look, let's. Um, let's just create a Christian utopia or be, become fundamentalist or something. He was both um, against the sense of uh, the church cutting itself off and against the church immersing itself so much in the culture that it, it lost its its particularity. Um, and it, at the time, there were no evangelicals who were doing what he was doing. There were plenty of liberals who would be talking about high art and culture and, and music and um, politics and law at the time. But there weren't too many evangelicals because evangelicals tended to follow a little bit more of a separatist mindset and, and block themselves off a little bit. Um, and I think he wrote this book, which I've discovered again uh, recently. There's a series, there's a load of videos they made in the mid to late 70s called How Shall We Then Live, um, based on a book he wrote in 1976, where he was basically, that, that. I think the subtitle was something like The Rise and Fall of the West. But it's explicitly from a Christian perspective. It isn't just saying, look at everything that's gone wrong. It's saying, this is actually a way to preach the gospel. So we, we can take the normal decline narratives, which we see everywhere, but actually Christians can talk about cultural decline in a way which points to um, not only why that decline came for the things we've moved away from and that actually were a blessing to us uh, as a culture, but at the same time point beyond the city of man, as it were, the city of humanity, or city of man in Augustine's terms, uh, to the city of God. So there's an eternal city that all of the cities on earth, that all the cultures on earth that we, we glorify and speak of in such rapturous terms, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Persians, whoever, and we can look at wonderful cultural artifacts, wonderful philosophical um, and social inheritance that we get from these. And actually we can point those back to God and say, look, God is the one who created us in his image. He's the one who imbues us with dignity. And he's the one who gives us this um, way this light, as you say, that we that, uh, when we look at the world, we can see it in technicolor through the light of the gospel, rather than um, just seeing it through the lens of as though this was the only thing that that mattered. And the reason I um, 
I'm going to bring up Schaefer's especially because he what he would do in these um, um, sort of videos he would do in the books he was writing at the time at his Labrie, which is the sort of um, a place where he would invite seekers who were kind of given up on Christianity or complete atheists or agnostics to come and talk out their questions, come and question. Um, and he'd do it by engaging with the kind of cultural tropes of the day, which is probably why no one read him for a while, because you don't, no one, none of us know all that much about the latest things of the 1970s and, and 60s, as it were. <clears throat> but he would be doing things, like there'd be seminars on the latest Beatles album and stuff like that, um, discussing and, and exegeting the lyrics and stuff like that, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I was thinking recently, looking at the woke kind of inheritance that we've got today, I, it does actually trouble me when I see some of the stuff that people like today, that even in their aesthetic judgments of what, what they think is good, or moral judgments, what they think is good, what they think looks good or sounds good, but also what sort of is good in its essence. I'm really quite troubled by the kinds of things that people seem to think are okay. I don't know if you heard of, here's where we'll really date this podcast in a few years' time. I'd only heard recently of, of this guy, Lil Nas X. Have you heard of him? Our listeners have been on percentage. Oh, no, How could you not I have heard of him, Andy? That I am, you know, I am, I'm not, you know, in with the in crowd. No, I have... Andy, I cannot believe you haven't. I mean, he a I theologian? Heard of... It's a theologian, he, right? He is basically, he counts as a theologian. No, yeah, he's, he's a, a rapper. He's the first open LGBTQI plus rapper. Um, and he's kind of crazily viral, like 350 million people watching YouTube videos and this kind of thing, which is kind of phenomenal. Um, I only heard of him yesterday, so you shouldn't feel too bad. I'm only a day ahead of you, culturally speaking. Um, but some of the stuff in this video was genuinely troubling. Like, the 350 million people watched, and presumed lots of whom liked this. And this is a lot of people who are a younger generation. This is like the future of the, the Western uh, kind of inheritors, as it were, of the culture. And it's like homoerotic, pornographic, satanic worship, almost. Um, literally, like it's set in hell. It's like a descent into hell. It's a really, it's so abject in its sort of uh, trying to mock all of the ideals on which uh, Western culture is built. It's kind of really fascinating to see, but also really, really troubling and disturbing. Um, that and the method, he's kind of become a real kind of leader to people. He's only like twenty-two. You think, wow, this is amazing. Really, this is the, the kind of icons of the day. There's a real shift in the kind of virtues that people look to. I'm not trying to say clearly that, let's say, the 1960s and 70s, oh, look, weren't the Rolling Stones fantastic uh, icons and role models? But there's clearly a shift in what people appreciate and what they're willing to tolerate that has changed. And, and people, you know, it's, it's normal for generations to look upon other generations and go, oh, isn't everything declining? Isn't it worse than when I was younger? So clearly we, we don't want to make that mistake. And Christians can easily do that just because the culture is, like, different. But I think there is definitely something here of almost like the um, the essence of Romans one, the sort of the, the the God giving us up to our insanity in our in our lusts and our throwing away of, of truth and our, our exchanging of the truth of God for a lie and, and to kind of turning away from God and towards idolatry. I can really see that in some of the popular culture today. In in, in a way, Schaefer could see the same in his day, um, but he was trying to find ways of bridging that gap and saying, look, this is why things have gone wrong because we've stopped believing in truth we don't believe in reason anymore even that even christians don't have a reason for why they're not prepared to give a reason in that, in that peter phrase of 1 peter three fifteen. prepared to give a reason for the hope to which they're called they just say jesus loves me and that's great um mm -hmm. and actually he said i, I couldn't believe this i read this in Schaefer recently he said 
I'm increasingly getting uncomfortable when I see the word Jesus. <laughs> now, Francis Schaeffer was a very conservative. By most people's standards, he'd be far more conservative evangelical than many today. And he said, I'm uncomfortable when I see the word Jesus um, touted around because I know it's being used in a very irrational way. And you could almost exchange the word Jesus for Muhammad or Krishna or Mick Jagger because it's just basically, it becomes a kind of uh, idolatrous trope. It's really kind of a self egotistical religion and people just kind of go well i'm yeah i I like jesus i don't really know anything about why it's true i don't even want to say why it's true and equally it leads us to a relativism further down the line so Mm. we've got to be careful about recovering uh, the truths of what we believe and actually arguing for it defending it and seeing where untruth leads like it's not just everything's equal it's not like if you just leave truth and not care about it culture will just happily keep going and um, re- reduplicating itself in positive ways. It actually won't. It will usually regress. It tends to do that, like a garden that isn't tended um, regresses. Um, so does a culture. So we, there does have to be, so being salt and light in a culture, you mentioned that verse earlier, does mean um, trying to be a witness, trying to be the city on the hill that the church needs to be, of, of truthfulness where we see lies and where we see you know, complete falsehood. Um, and of course, of being preservative where we see sort of rottenness then there's, there's really ways we can go wrong when we approach those issues, but I think we need to be really, really sharp and aware of them, which is mm. why I think someone like Schaefer is helpful to recover. Yeah, I think there's a gosh, I think as we said when we were prepping this uh, this podcast that we, we're setting up so many like topics <laughs> for future future shows, and, and one of the things I'm I'm encouraged by, I'm very grateful to all of you who listen because looking at the stats, you can see that people like come across one episode and then go listen to other ones and they're all mm. designed to be timeless because I think a lot of these themes interconnect mm. but, but a couple of things like just just by way of response uh, to what you said there um, I think the other reason I think it's important for, for Christians to keep an eye on culture one of the things I think the mistakes we've made around the arts is that, I, I, I mean Schaefer was a huge influence on me as a young Christian one of the things I really appreciated was he took the arts seriously. And I think a lot of us today, Christians, if we're honest, sadly don't take the arts seriously. Mm-hmm. Either we turn our back on them totally and don't and sort of think Christians shouldn't go there. Let's just have highfalutin, you know, theological mm-hmm. conversations and not think about the world of art. Um, or we just, you know, engage, you know, very naively. We sit there and watch, you know, we listen to whatever music's on the mm-hmm. on the radio, we watch Game of Thrones or whatever. We don't actually think about the values and the issues that are going on there. And I think we forget how deeply art goes because we're made as, you know, as God has created us to be creatures of culture and culture really matters. And there's a very famous quote, isn't there, often attributed to the 18th century Scottish politician, Andrew Fletcher. Um, it's a slight misquote of what he said, but the idea is right. He said, let me, he's, it's often attributed to him this quote, let me make the songs of a nation. I care not who makes its laws. Hmm. And he was getting at the idea there that actually, you know, culture, and he's writing this in the 18th century, right, is more influential than philosophy and theology and those other things. And so we neglect those things at our peril. And I think, I think Christians have ceded ground. The other thing I guess I want to say is that, you know, it's very easy to take, you know, the example of that, that rap artist you mentioned and go, right, okay, let's train our guns there because look how depraved it is. Mm-hmm. I worry actually about popular culture. You know, I'm going to make pretty window friends for saying this, but you know, you take Game of Thrones. I mean, I loved, mm. I love fantasy and high mm. fantasy and low fantasy as well. You know, I steered so clear of that because if you look at some of the yeah. themes and the way they were yeah. portrayed, I got yeah. deeply disturbed by Christians going, "Oh yeah, I watch this stuff all the time." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." Do we not need to raise at least some questions? Not to be prudish or luddites or you know all those other things, but are going. 
the Bible does say deliberately, you know, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think mm. on Absolutely. these things. Yeah. And then yeah. even more popular culture, there was a great piece, I think which magazine I was reading in recently, talking about Love Island. You know, look, look at the values yeah. built into that. It was talking about, you know, the, the number of young women now who are going for plastic surgery because that yeah. show has successfully sown the idea that if you need yeah. to, in order to succeed in life, you mm. need, you know, breast augmentation, Botox mm. on your lips and to look plasticized mm. like that view of femininity uh, mm. and, uh, you know, there's a particular view of masculinity built mm. into that show. But too often we sit there, remote control in hand, and we don't ask the the, the kind of theological questions. Mm. And so it's it's such a hard balance to get right between being able to critique culture, uh, mm. but not also become doom and gloom merchants, but also, as I say, to be salt and light. And I love mm. the fact that Jesus used those two metaphors together, Aaron, because, you know, salt and light are interesting, right? You know, light works at a distance. There's something about the gospel that works at a distance. We can try and bring light into a culture. We can try and help people see the difference between cats, mm. to return mm. to an earlier metaphor. We can yeah. be in the public square, but salt, of course, works very differently. In the ancient world, it's preservative, but it didn't work at a distance. You know, yeah. there's no point having a bowl of salt on the other side of the room as your as your food. The mm. two need to come into contact. Mm. And as Christians, mm. we need to come into contact. We need mm. Christians who are in the yeah. arts. We need Christians who are in the world of television and, mm. and media, mm. and uh, and wherever. And it's not easy. And I know I know Christians in those fields often feel it's very tough because they get attacked on both sides. They have their secular, very liberal friends attacking mm. them. And then we have Christians saying, well, why are you working there? Why are you working at the BBC? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's truth. If every mm. Christian who is left vacated the BBC, what's going to happen? Mm. Uh, and mm. so I think that that salt and light passage is, mm. is hugely helpful. And, and then and one yeah. last thought. I'd love to throw yeah, this yeah. your way because you and I talked sure. about this. So let yeah, me yeah. back this your way and I'll stop rambling. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you, know, I, get, you know, get a, get an evangelist on, on a monologue. They're going to keep going. Um, one thing that I know you and I have also talked around a lot and worth talking about for a few minutes is the idea of the long defeat. Right. Yeah. I know you, in fact, I think you had a, or had or have a blog around that. Yeah. Um, that's an idea that comes out of Tolkien. So Tolkien in Lord of the Rings talks about the fact that particularly the elves who have been around in, in that book, you know, in that fictional culture for thousands of years, knowing that ultimately they're going to, they're going to lose, but they don't, they don't give up. They fight what they call long defeat. And is that, I, I do wonder there's something about Christians in culture going, we know that the world is going, is going to get darker and 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 more difficult and evil is not going to prevail, but it's going to look like it's triumph before the yeah. end will come. Jesus yeah. is very honest. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and false messiahs mm. and all kinds of things. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, it's going to get better and better and better. Mm. Man, you guys have no idea. It's going to be utopia. In fact, so much so that when the second coming comes, you'll wonder why I've even bothered. No, Jesus is no, yeah. it's going to get really, really, really bad. Mm. And then finally, you know, God is going to intervene and wrap up history. You know, for the sake of the saints, um, have we forgotten that? Have we, perhaps, you know, are we so in love with our culture that we don't have that longer-term perspective and, and realism? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. There's so much in there. I think, I, I think, obviously, we could even do a whole episode on eschatology one day because that that would almost you could think the difference between pre-millennial and post-millennial eschatology in terms of how we will see hope but let's save that for another one michael 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 will be desperate to get in on that we'll he absolutely save some, will he save will some absolutely. stuff for him to talk about he'll say why are you guys getting so doctrinal that's what you have to do. you have two two doctors in the room fake two fake doctors uh, at a podcast um but but you know so absolutely the long defeat and that was the reason my friends and i a few years ago we set up this kind of team blog on with that as the kind of leading mantra as it, it diagnoses the tension that you're still fighting you don't you don't give up fighting 
but you know that <clears throat> you're not going to win until he comes. And as soon as you start thinking we're going to win, we were trying to win now, I think you, you miss it. And you miss those really, really crucial um, trajectories in the New Testament, which talk about the city that is to come. Here we seek no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, but of course, the famous as Augustine had said in his the City of God, you know, that, that those who are most um, preoccupied with the, the heavenly city are going to be of best use in the in the uh, temporal city. So it's not that we disengage, as you say, we have to be in the midst of it. And I'd want to sort of put a sort of, you know, a kind of caveat to our, we definitely want to encourage Christians in the arts. But my only reservation would be, I've seen that for years as well, of people who, if they go there as their first point of call, that's what they're most excited about because they're already worldly or they're already inclined to that because they feel that they're an artistic person and they're going to kind of moan about the fact that the church doesn't take artists seriously. Like, I mean, sometimes that can get quite melodramatic. And I say that as someone who, would I call myself an artist? I did a, I did a master's in creative writing. So I, I'm a, I would call myself a creative type. And I went to conferences on writing, uh, Christian writers things back in the day. And there were people who were quite prominent Christian artists who had some secular acclaim, but had done loads of kind of, you know, Christian goatee theatrical stuff. And they would say things I just, at the time, I thought, this just sounds totally lopsided. They were saying things like, I don't believe, one quote was, I don't believe revival will come to the church until the artists return. I was just like, for goodness sake, do you really think that that's literally that the Holy Spirit's just waiting to pour himself out? As long as those annoyed, melancholic, um, artists return, then I could do a revival because they could sort of help me sort of paint the pictures of it or sort of express it in beautiful poetic words. You look at the history of revival, that's not actually how, even the Great Awakening, that's not how it worked. It was that certain people got, were, were completely transfixed with the eternal city, with the fact that they, goodness me, like this is the point of life. Um, all of life is leading to this. We're made in the image of God. We've sinned and fallen away. We desperately need God. And that must affect my everyday life, my personal life and my corporate life. And they live accordingly. And when they live accordingly, they do things which are quite striking. They might start preaching on the street. They might start planting churches all over the world, sending missionaries here, there and everywhere, as the West, the Western churches did all around the world and, and bore wonderful fruit. That's what happens when God gets hold of people and gives them a vision that actually there's things that are more than just this culture. So I think we need to be wary. We want to be... Uh, cognizant of what's going on we need to be aware thoughtful about the culture that's going on but we're already so immersed in it ourselves we, we need to also develop a habit of going it's okay to withdraw and say actually i need to get some perspective i need to actually be uh, we need to be the, ch the church to be the city on the hill it needs to be a bit on a hill sometimes to be able to glow and, and look different to the world because we're already so compromised as you can see the effect of, of a lot of the wokeness on churches has been quite significant, and so has the worldliness. You mentioned Game of Thrones. I think so many Christians while away so much of their time on Netflix and think probably if they had a caveat in their head, would be, oh, well, firstly, this is downtime. This is fair enough, right? We all need some relaxation time and not, certainly not blasting leisure. I and mean, John Wesley didn't think much of leisure, so we shouldn't go too far. Um, but we, there is a, a problem, even in the kind of stuff you're you're taking in. Game of Thrones has all sorts of problems in it, but loads of the Netflix series. My, my wife and I sometimes try to watch a series that's more recent, just to kind of stay a little bit current. And sometimes just can't 
it just gets so frustrated because I feel like I'm being preached to within the first episode. There's so much propagandizing of the ideologies of the contemporary West in so much of the culture of the West. So it's interesting that um, often those, those things become vehicles of the ideology in ways that I just think are so strange that how, how that's happened so quickly. So we've got to be aware of that. What are we taking in? How are we interpreting it? Are we chewing and spitting out the right way? Um, and are we then able to actually speak into what, you know, what we have to kind of point people to, which is actually what they're looking for when they go for a Netflix binge or whatever it is or whatever they're giving themselves to. So because we, we want to say that art should describe something true. So I think art, you know, beautiful art, the best art which points to beauty is because it's true as well. There's something we go yes in our spirit to and we appreciate. And Christians have the answer to point them to the kind of fount of all truth. Jesus is saying, on the way, the truth, and the life. I bring light. Yeah. I bring life and immortality to light, Paul says, through the gospel. Uh, and so we have that wonderful opportunity to do that, and we need to do that in and through the way we engage culture. Not just, hey, look, I've read some Greek poets. Look what Paul did in Acts 17. Let's just respend all of our time reading the Greek poets or the equivalent. I'm going to watch 15 Netflix series just so I can know the Greek poets. Actually, Paul then calls them to repent, as we've said before. And so we need to diagnose it, be immersed in it, and then actually call it to repentance when, when it's required, which means calling people to repentance as well. And so sorry, that's a rambling ramble to the ramble, but you can... Uh, no, it's good, it, but I think, um, I think we probably need to draw this to a, a close before, before too long. And I think there's, there's nothing else we've shown. There's a, there's a need for a whole podcast episode here, I think, on art and aesthetics. But, you know, one thing that struck me as you were as you were talking there, Aaron, I wonder whether one of the reasons why, you know, we've gone a bit astray, well, two reasons why we've gone astray when it comes to, when it comes to culture and, and art and, and, and so on. One is we talked about, you know, we've lost our values as a culture. We've lost the confidence in, as once you lose the, once you lose confidence in your values and everything becomes personal preference, then you've got, of course, no framework to go, well, I'm sorry, that's not art. That's just, that's just disgusting. That's just dehumanizing or whatever. And so we've lost that cultural that cultural confidence. And it's interesting, if you look at, you know, the, the values that the BBC was, you know, here in the UK mm. was was classically mm. formed on. It was designed to both entertain, but also educate and edify, I think, mm. was all in there. And we've, you know, now, you know, no sort of, no sort of programme commissioner at, at, at a big public, a big broadcaster would be sitting there thinking, well, how do we make sure that we, you know, we grow people's character? That would not be there. It's all about eyeballs uh, and mm. all values have become, have become equal. Mm. But then also, I think, you know, as our culture, and we've talked about this in previous shows too, as our culture has become desacralized and we've forgotten, you know, what what it means for there to be something bigger than just the material, I think art, art actually increasingly begins to not fit that, right? Because, mm. you know, on a purely Darwinian view of the world, uh, mm. where does art fit in? If we're just here to survive and, and, and reproduce, um, and even Dawkins, I think the you know famous Oxford atheist, I think once described things like art as a Darwinian misfiring. It doesn't really fit mm. that materialistic worldview. Mm. And also, of yeah. course, for art to point beyond itself to something something bigger, which is built into the classical idea of art, that it's not just about mm. the picture is not just to make you go, oh, okay, that's a lovely picture. It's supposed to connect you to bigger themes of beauty yeah. and meaning yeah. and truth and virtue. Absolutely. But once you cut all that off, then all you have is your your engagement with the piece mm. itself, um, mm. you know, everything becomes totally subjective and the whole thing collapses. And that mm. obviously brings us back to, to Jesus because for Christians, right, art has to connect. That If Jesus is mm. the source of all that is good and all that is beautiful and all that is true, 
then when you see a beautiful piece of art or a beautiful landscape, whatever it is, it shouldn't make you just think that's a beautiful piece of art. It should make mm. you think about the one who mm. is the source of that. And C.S. Lewis talks mm. a lot mm. about this, right? About, about, you know, don't just look at the, the object of beauty, look along it yes, to its right. source. And if you lose that idea, then very quickly, you know, the rot spreads. But maybe that's a, a conversation for, a, for another mm. time, eh? Yeah. Well, I, I, maybe we should just keep talking until Michael comes back. Yes, yeah, well, the listeners, that could be a whole that could be a whole week, but uh, but I'm so, going to wrap it up because I can hear the, there's a there's a there's, a, there's, the, there's the beginnings of a riot building outside the door. There'll uh, be another dislocated shoulder. Won't there, there might well be, or one of those. You know, I think it was episode six where my children made a very loud uh, right. you know interruption on on the track and became almost part of the show. You're just uh, saying that to get bigger downloads for episode six now. Here we go. Oh, let's go listen to that. Where, 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 or has Andy, has exactly. Bannister actually rem- remembered correctly? <laughs> or was that true, in yeah. the episode where throughout the whole thing you could just, you know, hear Michael stirring his sourdough? That's uh, true. Yeah. That's right. this, has well, still with us. this has been a fascinating conversation. And, um, and I hope for, I guess I hope for everyone listening, it's been a fascinating conversation one of the things where i guess we're very conscious of at the pot of the gaps aren't we that we don't we don't pretend to have all the answers i hope we have some really good ideas about what the questions are and the reason we construct these as conversations is you know some of the stuff that we are thinking together out out loud and we hope it encourages folks listening at home right to begin thinking uh about this stuff and thinking more deeply right absolutely i think i think it's um also important you know on the on the note of that I heard recently, of course, you, you, you and Michael were saying we had a new um, a new patron subscriber, which was very exciting. So thank you to that wonderful person. Do we name people on here? No, we don't name. We don't. Name. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't name and, sh- and we, uh, What if they give? What if they give loads of money? What if they give like? We can make that a, a support <laughs> level. That if you give a certain amount of money to support the show, we will mention uh, your your name, and we could do it subliminally, like, like product placement. Or we can name parts of the show. You know, we could go. This is the John Smith introduction, or the, uh, or, the or the Rachel Jones punchline. Um, or if you're an introvert, then the price is higher. Like you have to give a certain amount for us not to mention your name. So there we but go. yes, that's the, the very yeah. serious point as we bring this to an end is, yeah, we're very grateful to everyone who the, the, who supports the show. It's a small but select but growing uh, number. And uh, there's so many things we'd love to do uh, with Pod of the Gaps in terms of promoting it, in terms of you know being able to get the resources <coughs> to get it edited slightly better, mm. uh, in terms of getting some promotion behind it so we can get out more widely uh, and so on mm. and, uh, and so forth. So um, if you enjoy... Uh, pod of the gaps if you know you listen as you drive around the country or as you do your daily run or wherever it is you listen to to pod of the gaps uh, do uh, click on the link in the show notes to, to patreon and you know the great thing is you can sign up to support us for as little as a pound or a dollar if you use that strange american currency a month or or higher if you want it all makes a difference it will help us cover our costs and it will helps us grow uh, this show so it can uh, it can reach uh, inform challenge uh, and equip more people but uh yeah it's been great talking to you as ever aaron and uh, we're going to be in a brief uh, break before the next episode uh, lands because i'm the next one off on uh, on on holiday going to the land of no wi-fi uh but we will be back yeah. in a few weeks time uh, with another episode in the meantime thanks for listening and goodbye bye, bye.